Well, good morning. Um, I did mention in the early service um, what a special opportunity it is to, to go to Israel, and I kind of explained my um, how it affects me. Um, it's it's not a spiritual it's not a spiritual experience in the sense that um, I'm going to Jerusalem because that's the greatest place on earth that I can worship God um, because we live in the new covenant and therefore we can worship God right here just as well or in just the most profound way that that God can be worshiped anywhere in our day but it's a experience that helps me understand my Bible better and I can walk around and see places and it's like putting the Bible map together a little better when you read your Bible and you're able to understand context a lot, so it's very helpful in that way. Um, so I was very thankful for another opportunity to go there and some of the folks who went with us, I think, feel equally privileged. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk about, uh, I want to, uh, as uh, Mike and Winnie just read from Second Corinthians chapter 6, I think the verse that kind of jumps out at us and that most people are familiar with is the one that says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And everybody's like, oh, don't be unequally yoked. Don't be unequally yoked. Um, that clearly has an application toward dating and marriage. And people often go look there. But it's way bigger than that. It's way more broad than that. So I don't want to make someone think that that's all that this sermon's going to be about, even though I will talk about that. But I, I want to really look at three things. I want to look at what does it mean to be unequally yoked. And then um, in this passage, he says that we are the temple of the living God. So how is that possible? Because that could have never been said in the Old Testament. No one would have ever said something like that. As a matter of fact, when Jesus said it, they thought he was uh, committing blasphemy to make such a statement as that. And then the lastly... We're going to talk about holiness and like what is it and why would we bother? Why would we bother to pay attention to the way we live our lives? Why would we pursue this thing called holiness? We'll talk a little bit about what holiness is and why we should pursue it. So all of these things converge really based on the kind of relationship God wants to have with you. That's what this is all about. What kind of relationship does God want to have with you? Um, that's why we're here as a church. That's why we sing songs and praise to God. That's why we open our Bibles. This whole book is about God wants to have a relationship with you. And so we're going to bring these three ideas together and hopefully it'll be helpful to you. So um, let me pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would really help us to understand how is it that we can be called temples of God? Temples of the living God, that's just a concept that um, none of us could have ever thought up, especially the way that you make it happen. And Lord, it sounds like breaking yokes, uh, bad yokes, when we're unequally yoked, we need to know what that is about because we're probably all doing it. And then 
um, why we should strive to be holy. What is that about? Like, what does that mean? And why would we put that much energy and effort into doing something like being holy? Because it surely doesn't look like what everybody else is doing. So please help us, God, to understand these things and deepen our love for you as a result of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm just going to kind of walk through this and try to explain it. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So um, Paul's talking, he's in, talking to the Corinthians. Very worldly place. Uh, Corinth was, uh, I mean, we even have a phrase. It was a phrase actually back then, and we still use it sometimes to be Corinthian or to Corinthianize. It's kind of like being someone saying, hey, be Las Vegas or be San Francisco or be wild and party. It's kind of what it meant if you were from Corinth. It's like, yeah, it's a really good party town. Uh, man, lots of good prostitution there. Um, uh, it's kind of had that reputation. And so people were getting converted in that location. People were being delivered out of prostitution and whatever their version of the drug trade back then. They certainly had drugs. Um, and they certainly had debilitating habits and drunkenness and carousing. And as a matter of fact, when you look back at chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, it kind of gives you a little window in what kind of people were getting converted. It says, uh, Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be conceived. And then he gives a list of things that were pretty, go, pretty heavily going on in Corinth. Sexual immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, uh, stealing, greed, drunkenness, revelry, swindling. And he says, such were some of you, but you were washed, uh, sanctified, delivered by God. This is the power of the gospel. And you sit there going, oh, what's the world going to, right? I was just talking to Don about that. What's the world coming to? Uh, man, there's a lot of mess going on. Well, they need this, right? And the Bible is telling us that people get saved in places like this. In Corinth, Silva, wherever you're from, the power of the gospel is being, people are being saved. So he says, so, hey, new Christians, I think you need to cut some ties. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's like, hey, this new relationship we have with God, you're going to need to make some changes. You can't just go on like, oh, I'm a Christian, and now I get to do all the stuff I used to do. It's like, no, becoming a Christian is going to change some stuff. You're going to need to change. You're going to need to cut some bait here. There's some relationships you've had going on that aren't so good for you, and you absolutely work for their conversion. Yeah, absolutely. You can be a missionary, whatever, but don't have a relationship that's going to destroy your walk with God. That's your new priority. You have a new priority in life, and that's walking with God and loving God and living for God, delighting in God. It's like He delivered you out of all your mess. How much better is it? All right. How many of you want to go back to all the mess? You think that way on a bad day? You ever think that way sometimes? It's like, man, this Christianity is hard. I want to go back to my mess. Well, that's stupid, but we say stuff like that. Sometimes we do that. It's like, man, this is hard. 
living for God, I just want really want to go get drunk tonight. That's how we feel sometimes. It's like, I just want me a good old affair. I mean, I know it sounds awful, but people think that way. That's why he's writing to Christians. I know how you think. Because I think that way sometimes. That's what we call stinking thinking. You ever do some stinking thinking? You ever do some stinking thinking? I do too. It's like, why in the world do we think that way when God's invited us out of the mess into a whole new way of life, but we do it? And God's saying, don't. Stop thinking like that. It's no way is that better. You don't want to go back. You need to cut some ties, and you've got some relationships that are probably pushing you to go back into the crud you used to do. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You're a believer now. Anybody excited about that? I'm a believer now. Praise God. But I still have this, you know, it's still fun to go do this, this, and this, and this. That's our thinking. And the, the, the God's like going, that's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. In, in Celebrate Recovery, we have this thing called relapse. And in Christianity, we have this thing called relapse. It's when we go back. We take steps back into stuff and go, how in the world? You ever said this? I don't, how in the world did you end up there? I, was, I don't know. Sometimes we sound like three-year-olds. Why would you do that? I don't know. Grown, grown adults. We say, how, how did you end up in this? I don't know. We're like three-year-olds again. And the reason part of it happened is because we refused to make some of the steps we needed to to cut some, we needed to cut some things out of our lives. And we're like, no, I want my cake and eat it too. I want to live for Jesus and party. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not the deal. We become a Christian. And Paul's writing to some, I don't know if you know much about this. If you've been tracking with us for very long, there's, there's a lot of mess in the church in Corinth. And he's telling them why. It's because some of you haven't been willing to cut some stuff out of your life that you used to love and do, and you can't keep doing that. It's, you can't live this. Um, you heard of the word duplicity? It's like you, like it's kind of like saying I love you and turn around and go I love you too. It's like to two different women try. No, don't try it. <laughs> it won't go well. And that's what happens when we tell God like I love you, but I love the world too. And it's like no, I don't. I don't do this game. I when I was sitting there, I was thinking about. Uh, home, uh, <laughs> I started to say Homer, Gomer and Hosea. Uh, I just brought them together, Homer. Okay, in the book of Hosea, God tells him to do the weirdest thing. Go marry a whore. That's literally what God said. Go marry a prostitute. And then what the real, what's the, like, why in the world would God say that? He goes, and now you'll know how I feel when you cheat on me. Like, Whoa. Now you'll know how I feel when you cheat on me, God says. So I don't want you to be a two-timer. God doesn't do two-timing. It's like, I need to be first and second so far down that we're not even talking, not even in the same ballgame. You are first, God. You are first. And second, so far down, there is no... But here's what God knows about us. Every day, Satan's going to bring something around that's going to compete with our loyalty to God. It's like, looks good, tastes good, looks fun... And so every single day, God says, I want you to fight for our, our relationship. I want you to fight. Just like in marriage. I, I do marriages all the time. And I tell, I tell people, it's like, I know you're like crazy mad about each other, but if you don't have Christ in your life, that's going to not go on. 
because someone really cute's going to come along. Someone's going to flirt with you at work, and someone's going to say, oh, my, and someone's going to listen to you. Your husband, you won't talk to your wife. Someone will listen to her, and he's going to be better looking than you and have a lot of money, or he might not be worth a hoot, but he listens. And it just touches your heart, and next thing you know, your loyalty is, and God's like, don't do that to me. Don't mess around with me. Don't have divided loyalties. When you come in with me, I love you and I, you need to love me back or Satan's going to stick something. And I'm going to promise you, if you cheat on me, it won't go well. It won't go well for you. I don't want it. I love you. I've undivided my loyalty. I love you so much I gave my son to die for you. You understand what I did for you? Don't go cheating on me. I've given everything. I've given you most, my most precious possession. Costs more than a diamond. He's like, ooh, I must, he must really love her. Look at that big old diamond. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. The real question is, does he still love me? That's what a woman wants to know. It's not like, oh, look, at my, look how much he loves me. She doesn't care about that. I mean, maybe a little. <laughs> but that's not what motivates. I want to know he still loves me. Still loves me. You know, this will not fly, but I heard a, uh, I don't know where I saw it or heard it, but it's like the, that'd be like the um, wife telling her husband, it's like, you never say I love you. And he says, honey, I, I said it when we got married and I'll let you know if it changes. It's like, no, no. Every day is another day to say I love you. Every day. It's like, I love you. Tell your kids that. Tell your spouse that. Tell the Lord that every day. Lord, I love you. That's why we sing. We don't sing all these songs because they're like, one's well, cool. You know, this is Christian version of a concert. Like, no, what we're supposed to be doing is saying, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. We raise our hands. It's like, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you. And that's what worship is. Worship is when we're saying, Lord, I love you. I love you. I know what you did for me, and I'm blown away that you chose me. I can't believe out of all the people you could have picked, you chose me. I'm, I am so, I have got so many um, violations of love that I've committed against you. I have so many acts of unkindness and hatred and anger and bitterness and jealousy and ultimately all my sins against other people are really sins against you and you want to marry me? You, you want to enter into a covenant relationship with me in salvation? Then I think he has every right to say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I think he has every right to say that. It's like he, he is, he is, He's got the right to say it. No one has more of a right to tell you not to be divided in your devotion than him. What he's done for you. And it's pretty amazing that he wants, that's what he wants. He doesn't want to do timeshare. He's like, I want, I want you to love me first and I'll give you everything you need. I'll give you a great marriage. Just don't love her more than me. I'll take care of your needs. Just don't love that more than me. I'll help you find your path in life and you'll be successful in the way I want you to. Just don't love that more than me. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What's the big deal about unbelievers? I like them. I'm here because unbelievers need Jesus. It's not that we don't love unbelievers. We just love what they might do to us. We don't love what they might if they become a threat to our walk with God. I was an unbeliever. How many of you are unbelievers? Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, that's because you're still one. Because we all were. Okay. Um, and God loved us while we were still enemies of God. 
He loved me. He reached out to me when I was an unbeliever. So we're supposed to love unbelievers. It's not, it doesn't in here say, do not love unbelievers. It says, don't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. You can't yoke up with an unbeliever. You can't be in a heart. Let me tell you what a yoke is. A yoke's a piece of wood, not an egg yolk. I've been yoked that way before too. But the, the yoke this is talking about is like a piece of wood, specially carved with a, a place here and a place here to put two heads in there. And they are yoked together. And there's this thing that goes under the neck, under the neck. So they are locked together and one can't go anywhere without the other one. And they are so connected together, the only way they can make progress, wherever they go, they're going to go together. And if you have two things yoked together that don't want to go together, then they ain't going nowhere. Or the stronger one will pull the weaker one. And that's what happens when you yoke with someone. When you get yoked up in a partnership or marriage or a business contract or you commit to a team or you get lined up with something, when you partner with someone that closely that you're aligned, that your goals need to match up, or someone's going to be a big loser, or both people will end up. And God's saying, don't attach yourself so closely to someone that doesn't care about me, doesn't love me, doesn't pursue me, because they will pull you away from me. That's what God is saying. And then he gives a series of examples. It's like lightness, uh, uh, right, righteousness and lawlessness. Like you can't be legal and illegal at the same time. That's kind of, you can't pursue being a good citizen and a scoundrel at the same time. That's I guess, kind of what he's saying. For what fellowship has light and darkness? They don't coexist together. What accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is another, it's a, it's only used a couple times in the Bible, but it's a reference to Satan or he, the worthless one. What Christ and Satan do not serve the same goals. You can't yoke up with the devil and God at the same time. Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Like essentially, now I'll say this, we have many things in common, unbelievers and believers. Like we both go to McDonald's, we both go to... Um, um, it's the same shopping mall. We both use Amazon. We both um, run around the same track. Unbelievers and non-believers can be on the same football team or whatever. But when he's talking about, he's saying, don't yoke up with someone that's going to, um, an unbeliever doesn't have the same life goals that you do. They don't have the same eternal goals that you do. They don't care about worship like you do. They don't care about reading their Bible like you do. They don't want to pray like you do. And so he's saying, if you're going to closely align with someone, make sure that they have this same eternal goal. And that's what we call the family of God. We're Supposedly, we're yoked together in this church. And that we can serve God together and get excited about, man, come on, join us. And that's what I would say to anyone. If there's anyone here that's never committed to Christ, and we're inviting you. Come on, join us. Hop in, join with us. We want to serve God. And if you don't, well, you want to learn how to, maybe you've got some bad relationships. And we're like saying, well, come on and join us. We've, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk and share and sing and praise God and listen to the Word of God and go on mission trips and share our faith and pray together and share our burdens together. And we'll, because we're, here's what we're committed to. I want to, live with, I want to live for God who loved me and saved me from my sinfulness 
And I want to make it to heaven and I want to enjoy God now and I want to walk in His presence and I want to live in a way that would honor Him. And these are some of my goals. Any of y'all have goals like that? That's why we're here, right? I need help. You need, I need some people to yoke up with me. I just don't want people pulling me away. Do you know that sometimes even churches become unhealthy? And churches sometimes become what you need to break away from. Because they're no longer walking with God. They're like, no, I'm not. I'm doing my thing over here. It's about Mr. Celebrity or, or this person or this idea or this. I, sometimes even places that claim to be serving God are unhealthy, toxic. And God says, find some people that love me and partner with them. And then he says, um, we're the temple of the living God. Y'all know what the temple is? Temple in the Old Testament? The temple was a location. I think you know what the purpose, if you know what the temple is, you know why the, there was a temple. Because God wanted to meet with His people. And so the temple was a, a physical location. It started out as a tabernacle, then became the temple. And the temple was a physical location where God said, we're going to... I, want, I so want to meet with you. I so want to dwell with you. I love you. And I want to fellowship and I want to be close to you. But here's a problem. You're sinner, sinful, and I'm holy. And it's like some of us are like, well, no big deal. And God's like, no, no, big deal. Really big deal. It took one sin in the Garden of Eden to destroy the whole fellowship we had with God. One sin. So that's what a big deal it is. One sin, and there's people like going, well, if I'd only committed one sin, I'd be so happy. I'd com my, I'd, I'm committing sins like constantly. And to think that God is, wants to be in a relationship with me, it's like, Lord God, if sin offends you, and I've got a long, never-ending list of sins I'm committing, how are we going to meet up? And he said, I, I can deal with your sin. So... Ultimately, he says, I'm going to deal with your sin through my son and he's going to die on the cross for you. But until he gets here, I've got this thing called the tabernacle and then I'm, we're going to, it's a tent that moves around and then we're, I'm going to build like the, a temple that's going to be in one location in Jerusalem. I'm going to build a temple. So until Jesus gets here to really deal with the issue, I'm going to have a location. I'm going to create a location and you can come to that location and here's, it's going to be messy because your sin has been messy. So it's going to be messy for you to have a relationship with me. It's going to be costly on my end. And you're going to have to atone for your sins and all your law breaking. Because I'm a, I'm a lawful God. I'm a holy lawful God. I, I'm everything about me is legal. So if we're going to have a relationship, I can't just ignore all the sin. So I'm going to set up this place and this place, the tabernacle temple. And when you come there, you're going to need to bring some live um, living beings with me, some animals, because I'm going to, here's what will happen. You bring your animal, confess your sin, we'll kill the animal, and the animal's blood will count to atone for your sins temporarily till Jesus comes. So everything in the Old Testament was temporary till Jesus comes. And then, so you had to go to the tabernacle, bring your animal or a bunch of animals, goats, lambs, doves, pigeons. Come on, we're going. Sorry, guys. You're going to have to pay for my sins. I know it's not fair. You're going to have, but that's what God says because I want to have a relationship with God and he said that 
something has to die and it's going to be you. And God says, but one day it'll be my son. So the temple and tabernacle were so that people could have a relationship with God until Jesus could come to completely and forever atone for sin. So Jesus comes. And Jesus, perfect. Jesus is the best sacrifice ever. Jesus is the only sacrifice ever that actually really did anything. The Old Testament sacrifices didn't do anything and just waiting for Jesus to come. They were just like temporarily appeasing God. Do you understand that? You understand the Old Covenant. No one's sins were washed away by any bull, any goat. But just, it was like, let's spill some blood till Jesus can get here. And God says, if you will obey me doing that, believing, and you come bring these animals, believing that blood atonement is required, but one day blood atonement will be the blood of a human, a perfect human, had to be the Son of God. When Jesus gets here, we'll stop the old way, the temporary way, because the new way and the only way is established. And so bringing our bulls, bringing our goats, year after year, day after day, sin after sin, so weary, so bloody, so messy, so tiring, so laborious. And Jesus comes and says, I'll offer my righteous life for their sins. And God says, done. Jesus lived perfect righteous life, was nailed to the cross, and he said, it's finished. Lord, I did everything required to be the sacrifice for sinners. Everything. And they nailed him to the cross. They whipped him. They beat him. He endured mockery, everything. And God said, I accept it. I accept it. Amen. Um, debt removed. Guilt. For the first time in history, ever. Um, before, they would bring a, a goat. And he would say, see you next week. Oh, no. And they would go and they would sin again. He was like, see you next week. Bring another bull. See you next year. See you next month. Every time. But when Jesus died on the cross, God says, done. Forgiven. Washed away. Pardoned. Done forever. It's like, yes! Jesus is my hope, not a location in Jerusalem. Jesus is my hope. And so he said, whew, this is new. <laughs> the old contract torn up a new con Jesus came and wrote a new contract or a new covenant done sealed in the blood of Jesus no more no more negotiating no more um, high priest like Aaron or any other all those high priests because Jesus is the true high priest and he's done it it's written in his blood he carried it right into he carried that blood right into the throne room of God and said Lord God you accept this and he says you know I do son I love your right. You are my son and my righteous son. Done, seal, new covenant. And in the new covenant, we get the presence of God. God is, dwells in us. And that's what the old temple and tabernacle was, a place where God could dwell with his people. And he says, now you're the dwelling place of God because I will dwell with you wherever you go. Isn't that better? Like that better? I like that better. I went to Jerusalem 
to see where the temple used to be, to help me understand this book better. But my salvation had no bearing on me going to Jerusalem. It had me bearing on me going to the cross where Jesus died for my sins. And in my heart, that's where I went when God offered me salvation. And so he said, so we are the temple of God. And as the temple of God, can I tell you what God is saying in this next section? God is saying, hey, don't be unfaithful to me. Don't be unequally yoked because I, I love you. That's the next section when he says, we're the temple of God because I love you. And I want to have a perfect relationship with you. I want to dwell with you day and night. I want to go with you. Like you're, the, you're my dwelling place. And so he says, interesting, he doesn't talk about the atoning blood in verses um, 16 to 18. He talks about the benefits of the atoning blood. It's like God points out like, I love you. I want to walk with you. I want to dwell with you. I want you to be my son, my daughter. He's like listing benefits, not how we got there. That was through Christ's blood. He says, here's what I want. I want to dwell with you. I want to walk with you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people. Do you realize God's saying to you, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my daughter. I want you to be my son. I want you to be, in, I want you to be a full member of the family. Go out from their midst. Like, don't let anyone rob you of this. Be separate from them. Don't let anyone distract you or detour you. Um, touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. It's like, keep your, keep your walk with me close. Stay close with me. Don't pollute or, or trash this relationship. I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. So God is like saying... Don't be unequally yoked because I love you and I want, to have, I want to be with you on every given day. And then he says, therefore, at the end, we have these promises, like these promises of God's presence, God's forgiveness, God's finished work on the cross for us. We, since we have these promises... We have all, like boatloads and boatloads of promises. So, let's keep ourselves clean and away from defilement of body and spirit. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So, now God's saying at the end, so why bother with holiness? I think that's a question I was posing earlier. So, why should we bother with striving to honor God? In our lives, why should we care about what we say, things we do, the offenses we might commit to God? Why should we care? Um, can't we just say, hey, I'm forgiven in the blood of Jesus, now go do whatever you want to? Isn't that how a lot of Christians seem to live? It's like, oh, I'm washed in the blood. I mean, I don't know that everyone in the, I don't know that everyone in the system of Roman Catholicism thinks this way, but I know there's a lot of people that do. It's like, man, go do what you want to and Saturday night, confess your sins to the priest and go again next week and let's party real big and Saturday night, we matter, let's go confess our sins and let's get right, we might die. You, do you know that people in the mafia figured out that that was a pretty good deal for them? They put a lot of money in the plate 
and they go and do their confession and then they go kill people again. And I'm not at all saying that everyone thinks that way, but some people have manipulated religious systems to figure out a way where they can do what they want and then still be right with God somehow. And God's like, no, no. Um, I gave an illustration in the first sermon. I'll see if I can remember. Um, Let's just say that I tell my wife, hey, it's our whatever anniversary. Um... I've got this special event planned and this special weekend planned. And so the weekend comes along and I said, like, you pick where? And it's like, oh, good, I, I want to go there. So my wife is all excited, all excited about this anniversary we're going to go on. It's a weekend. And we're getting in the car and she, and she notices me. I'm like, she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm putting my golf clubs in the car. We're not going to play golf. Oh, well, I thought since it's a cool resort, I've kind of got a tea time set up. Why are you putting your bike in there? Why just one bike? Well, you know, I'm, I'm training for a triathlon, and I, I think I need my bike in there because one day they got a really cool trail there, and I'm going to triath- I'm going to ride my bike all day. And she's like, "This doesn't sound like an anniversary for us. It sounds like you turn this into you." And she's not going to be real, real excited. And that's what some people Christians do. They turn Christianity. It's about you. And God gets left behind. God becomes our, our ticket to blessing. It's like, well, bless my this, bless my that. And suddenly God's our pathway to our plan. It's like, God, bless my plan. I'm a Christian, yeah. God, help me make good grades so I can get into grad school. Give me a really pretty wife and, you know, kids that probably go to church. And, you know, Lord, help my kids not to do so much of the drugs and stuff and have sex before they get married and protect them. And we're going to go to the youth group. And we're all supportive of a youth group. And somehow God gets pushed to the side. And that's what this passage is about. And God says, no, I want you to walk with me, focus on me, love me every day. If you have sin come up in your life, realize that you need to get rid of that as fast as you can and confess your sins so that our relationship can be unbroken and unhindered and we can really have an amazing experience together once you become a Christian. Um, Doesn't mean you're going to be without trials. It means you're going to be with Jesus. You'll never be without Jesus. That's the blessing. Not this amazing, um, unbiblical concept of some magical Christian life. It's like, oh, everything we do touches, turns to gold and is blessed. So, I want to, I just want to close out with two thoughts. Number one, um, what things have you unequally yoked right now or are potential? What things are trying to line up with you that is not of God and it's Satan or some distraction from your spiritual walk? Could be this. Um, this is such a threat. It's a blessing. But it's a threat. And if you don't see it as both, then you're in some serious water right now. If you don't see that along with the good, there are some very big dangers in this phone. If you don't see that, then Satan already has you in his sights. 
pornography? Right here. Um, social media? Ideology? You don't think Satan loves this little thing? You don't think he's sending all kinds of signals about gender? About hatred and racism? You don't think he communicates anti-God spewing ideas? I hope there's no one in here that's that naive. I, I would rather you be honest and go, yeah, I know it, but I like it anyway. That's honesty. We can work with that. I can work with you being honest and say, I'll be, I'll be honest. I have trouble with this thing and I have a hard time detaching myself. It's tied around my neck like a yoke and I can't go five minutes without wanting to know what someone says. You know what this thing, if nothing else, it's a huge distraction. But that's naive to think that that's all it is. It's not just a distraction. It will keep you from having real time with people. You can't communicate with someone when every time that stupid thing dings on your watch, everybody's looking at your watch. They're not looking at the time. They're seeing who just signaled them. Because you don't have to look at the time every 30 seconds. But if your life is so hooked up to this thing that it's become a yoke and it's threatening your walk with God, then you need to do some serious talking with Jesus today. Say, Lord God, i got this yoke around me and I don't know how to break it. I am addicted. I am addicted to this thing. And I'll also tell you that there are other things that might have you addicted. It could be... Um, you could be in a toxic relationship and that would be like a yoke. It could be... It could be dating. Maybe you're dating someone that doesn't love God and is not interested in God and you go, yeah, but he's cute. Well, that's going to end. Cute disappears when suddenly your life, your life alignment doesn't match up and you're like going, hey, it doesn't help when someone's pretty or handsome and they don't, are not interested in what should be most important in your life and that's your devotion to God. And they start tugging and pulling you in a different direction. And they start fighting everything. It's like every time you're, this something so basic to you as your walk with God becomes an area of great conflict. That's not meant to be. And that's a yoke that's going to hurt and harm you later. And another kind of yoke would be um, success. Wanting success. I, I mentioned earlier, and I'll say it here, I think, I think, there are things that are, are perfectly legal, but when they become uh, unhealthy yoke is when they start interrupting your walk with God. And I would say in our day, sports is really that. Sports is that way when people are like, no, no, you've got to be on a travel team if you're going to make the varsity. And you're just like, well, whoever said that that was the most important thing in life? But it's high up there. Next thing you know, people are not coming to church anymore. And you're like going, man, it's been months. I know it's travel season and we're out for the next four months. Like we get a little Devo on, you know, before games or someone on our team's a Christian. And we like pray and say the Lord's Prayer. That's not the same thing as being yoked to God. And the Lord feels like you're cheating on Him. And it comes a time, it's like, you've got no time for me. So I just want you to think about, is there something that's robbing your time from God? And I just want you to be honest before God. Let Him put His finger on it. And also, I want you to understand, 
please don't think that I'm going to think negatively. Everybody that comes in here and goes, don't tell the preacher we got travel ball this weekend. They're all going to look down on us. No, we're not. We're not. I'm not going to do that. It's okay if you come up to me and say, I had travel ball this weekend. Um, it might raise another question. It's like, well, how many weekends do you have travel ball? And, and how do you accommodate? Or how do you make up for the time you are losing with God? And what do you do on... Where do you, are you powerfully pursuing God? And this is an area like, if it were up to you, you wouldn't. You wouldn't set games up on those days or whatever. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to create, I don't want to create a, a legalistic code here. And No longer anybody that ever does travel ball can go to Webster Baptist Church. Or you tell them, warn them before they come. It's like, no, you do travel ball, don't go to Webster. Because they're going to nail you. If they see that sign on the back of your car, it's like, my kids do whatever. I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for, folks. I'm not looking for that kind of legalistic approach. But what I am saying is it takes energy and effort and commitment, and we have to make some sacrifices if we're going to stay devoted to God. Okay? Okay, but then the last thing I want to say is um, maybe, maybe you're here today, and this sounds like a pretty good deal. <laughs> it's like, I'd like to have fellowship with God. And I'm listening and maybe, maybe I've got some unhealthy alliances in my life and that's what's keeping me from this. I, wanna, I want to end with God. I want what Jesus did for me. I want fellowship with God. And what I'm offering to you this morning is He's a yoke breaker. He's a bondage breaker. And some of you may have some bondages in your life right now that you don't even know. And so what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you this morning to turn your heart to God and say, Lord God, I, I've got some bondage in my life. You might even know some of it might simply be demonic. And Satan is putting ideas in your mind or an addiction that you just can't break or a spirit of anger or jealousy or something hurt from your past and it's like keeping you down. And you're like going, no, I can't love God because I've been molested or I've been the molester or I've just been a horrible person and there's no way for me. I'm doomed forever. I was talking with a girl recently who is seeking deliverance from, from, from drugs and she's turning to God and she said to me and she said, do you think I'm doomed because I, I sold my soul to Satan? Literally sold my soul to Satan. Is there any possibility? Am I doomed forever? And I said, no, you're not. You're only doomed unless you refuse to call upon Jesus because He knows how to break bondages and He will break that bondages right here, right now. You call upon the Lord and in the name of Jesus, we can... We can Call upon Jesus to break Satan, Satan's bonds. Because believe it or not, that's what we were all in. We were all under Satan's domain. Ephesians 2, go read Ephesians 2. We were all in Satan's domain. And Jesus Christ come and said, I want you. I will save you. I died for you. I will break those chains. I will set you free. So if there's someone here today that needs to be set free, then that opportunity is before you now. Right now. You mean business? So we're done with me talking. It's time for you to talk. Okay? Time for you to talk to God. And I just want to know. I want everyone to go ahead and stand up. And I'm going to offer to pray for you right here, right now. And if you're here today... And there's some, there's some bondage you haven't been able to break. Then we're going to pray right now for God to do that.
Is there anyone here today that says, I just have something in my life, I just need to be, I just need to be set free from it? If that would be you, and you would be so bold as to come forward, anyone, if there's someone here that says, I've just got this thing in my life, I just want you to pray for me, just come on. We're going to pray for you right now. Just come on up here. If there's anything in your life that you need prayer for, we're going to pray for you right now. Anyone else? If there's anyone here today that says, I am ready today to make a commitment to God in my life, to Jesus Christ. If someone here says, I just want to be, I want to be free. I want to turn my life right here, right now to Jesus. If that's you, then you come forward. So what I'm going to also ask right now, if you're associated with one of these people here and you want to come and pray with them, then you come right now and you join forces with them and we're going to pray for these people and we're going to call upon God. And if while we're singing, then you feel like God is calling you to lay something down today and you need the power of Jesus Christ to break some bond that's keeping you from walking with God and the type of fellowship that we see described in this passage, then I'm going to ask you, as we sing, you come have business with God or you just simply want someone to come and you just want to come here and you want to pray doesn't even have to be related to anyone here. You say, I just feel like I just want to move my body as an indicator that God is moving in my spirit. Then you just come and we're going to sing. And this is going to be a time of prayer and praise to God. You can be right where you are while we're singing and you can turn to someone and say, I don't really want to go up front, but will you just pray with me? I've got a burden in my heart today and I just want someone to pray with me right here, right now. Then let us use this time to call upon God and seek Him now while He is near.